you have your Bible with you or you'd like to use one in the back of the pew in front of you, turn with me to the book of Philippians this morning. The New Testament book of Philippians, we will be in chapter 3, verses 12 to 16. We will get there in just a moment. This morning, we are launching into a vision series for the month of August entitled Life Directions, thinking about our life in Christ, the message of the gospel, and what it should do in our lives. Above all, we want to be a people of the gospel. I hope that is true. We want the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ and his salvation that he offers us to be the center point of who we are. But the gospel, brothers and sisters, is a message of movement. As I have thought about this fact in our context, I continue to go back to Stone's Corner, the roundabouts around town. When you get in one of those roundabouts, the one thing you cannot do is park and sit still in the middle of that round. You will be asking for some trouble. When you get into that roundabout, you must move one direction or another. Brothers and sisters, this is a Carl Junction picture of the gospel. When the gospel, the message that Jesus moved from heaven to earth, from death to life. When the Holy Spirit moved into our life and raised us to walk in newness of life, you and I, the only thing we cannot do is park. We must move one direction or another. So for the next five weeks, we will be talking about the directions the gospel sends us. This morning, the first direction we will consider is how the gospel makes us think forward. With all of that in mind, let us read Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 16. This is the word of the Lord. Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. My favorite sport in the Olympics is swimming. I am captivated by swimming once every four years, and then I forget about it. But as I have been watching swimming this week, I've loved hearing the stories of some of the young swimmers who, like me, was captivated by Michael Phelps in 2008 in Beijing, or Missy Franklin in 2016. The, the performances of those older swimmers changed their lives. They dedicated everything to become the next great American swimmer. And just in 2008, 
Michael Phelps was doing things in the water that no one had ever done before. His records were unthinkable. And now, in 2021, they are falling left and right. I don't know if Michael Phelps owns a single record at this point. And the limits of what we thought humanly possible in the water are just being pushed beyond and further and forward. Brothers and sisters, when the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ moves you like these records, you cannot stay the same. The gospel's here in this passage in verse 12. Paul says, Christ Jesus made me his own. If you still have your Bible open, you can see his larger argument in chapter 3. He, he gives a list of his, his works, his testimony in verses 2 to 8, and he, he boils it all down. He says, all of these things that I've done as a Pharisee, as, as someone who, who tried to be righteous, they are rubbish. They're trash. They mean nothing. In verse 3, he says, we are those who put no confidence in the flesh. Paul says, how much confidence do I put in all this work that I did for God? Zero. It means nothing when you add it up before God. Verse 9, Paul says, my righteousness is from God through faith. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel. We are not here to build up some kind of performance, some kind of righteousness, so that at the end of the day, we might stand on the pedestal and get God's gold medal. We are here as people of faith who recognize that we will never get there. We will never attain that reward. We will never be perfectly righteous. Everything good I have done is trash. But Jesus Christ moves to this earth to do everything perfectly obedient. And in my place, as my substitute, put himself on the cross and accomplished everything that I never could. Died the death I was supposed to die. Three days later, God rose him from the grave, announced him the gold medal champion, victor of eternal life, and the representative of anyone who would put their faith in him. That's why when Paul visited Philippi, where he wrote this letter. He says in Acts chapter 16, verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. So friends, before we go any further, we must deal with this message. It must move us one direction or another. Can you, like Paul, say, Christ Jesus has made me his own? When I die, the righteousness that I will depend on is not my own, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Friend, if you have not come to that point in your life yet, do that today. Believe in the work Jesus Christ did for you, and you will be saved. But that is not the end of the story. Paul shows us this is just the entryway into the roundabout, that this gospel moves us permanently. Paul tells us his goal in Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 to 11. All he wants to do is know Christ to experience his resurrection, that I may attain the resurrection from the dead by any means possible, even if it means going through the sufferings of Jesus. 
Paul is, is telling us, and he will continue to tell us in this passage, that our sanctification is a progress. It is a lifetime pursuit. It is a lifetime journey through the roundabout. Brothers and sisters, when the gospel moves you in this direction, it makes you think forward. What Paul is telling us is this. When Christ gets a hold of you, you think in the future tense. When Christ gets a hold of you, you do not think about who you are now or who you were. You think about who you will be. That's what Paul is doing and showing us with his gospel mentality as he thinks forward. He thinks in the future tense. I want to show you five aspects of this way of thinking forward. I have a lot more, but for the sake of time, I'm only going to show you five. I want to show you five aspects of thinking forward in verses 12 to 16. The first one is a sober awareness, a sober awareness. In verse 12, he says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. And just to emphasize the point in verse 13, he says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Imagine, keeping with the theme, an Olympian finishing a lap of the race and then collapsing on the ground, hands in the air, smiling, thinking they've just won the gold medal, but in reality, they still have one more lap to go. It makes me think about the famous incident in Chris Webber's life where he was seconds away from a national championship and called a timeout that his team did not have. Athletes need sober awareness. They need to know where they are in the game, where they are in the race. And Paul tells us as believers, that has to be our constant mindset. Now think about who is telling us this. Who is sharing this truth with us? The Apostle Paul, at this point, 30 years of ministry. 30 years of successful ministry, planting churches, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. And he says he knows, as a Christian, he has a long way to go. Not that I, Paul, have reached the finish line. There's still a quarter left in the game. Friend, what about you? Brother and sister who's been in the church forever. Do you know what quarter in the game it is? Do you know how many more laps you've got to go? If you're still breathing, if you still got a pulse, the game's not over. The race isn't over. You don't have your medal yet. We still have a way to go. Romans 12, verse 3, Paul says, For the, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters we need a divine dissatisfaction, a discontentment with the present that drives us to press on. The gospel tells us the more mature we get, the more we realize how far we are away. So as we talk about where we are as a church, where we are as a people of God, we need to be sober. We need to be able to see what's really there. 
So brothers and sisters, if I can ask you anything of you, start right now, pray that God would give us eyes to see the way he sees. Not what we think we see, but what he sees. There's a second aspect I want to show you of thinking forward. In verse 13, Paul shows us a single focus. Look at verse 13. There are two words that I really want to emphasize. Paul says in verse 13, one thing, one thing I do. You see this single focus, not just in Paul's life, but in Nehemiah's life. Nehemiah in the Old Testament was tasked with building a wall around Jerusalem. It was getting close to being finished, and two of his enemies came to Nehemiah to try to distract him. Now watch how Nehemiah deals with this with a single focus. In Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 3, Nehemiah says, I sent messengers to them. He didn't even go. Nehemiah sent somebody to tell them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Nehemiah says, I'm sorry, I don't have time for this. I have a single focus. I'm building this wall. And like Nehemiah, Paul has a single focus. He tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now imagine Paul's life. How many times did somebody come up to him and, and try to interrupt him, try to distract him, try to give him a new project, a new thing to think about, something the church should be thinking about, something the church should be doing? Paul said, no, Christ crucified. As one writer put it, puts it, the tyranny of urgent needs, the clamor of popular voices, the top news of the day all take a pale second place to the one overarching goal of Paul's life. Friends, this should hit us hard as a people in our day. How many of us talk about our life like we are just juggling too many plates? Too many irons in the fire. Too many races to run all at once. How many worthy goals in our life get sidetracked by lesser goals? How often is that the case in our life? Brothers and sisters, allow me to share with you, that's on us. That we, that's not someone else's fault. That, that is us. We own the opportunity to have a single focus. There is a better way, brothers and sisters. We need to find the one thing that drives everything and be able to drop anything that gets in the way of the one thing. Philippians chapter 1, Paul tells us what it is. He says in verse 21, to live is Christ. That's the one thing. We need to be able to make sacrifices. We need to be able to kill some idols, to be able to say no to some good things, to be able to say yes to the one thing. Can you, will you be able to say with Paul, one thing I do? The third aspect of thinking forward is the one that I really want to bring to your attention this morning. It is a short memory. Paul says you must have a short memory if you want to think forward. 
Verse 13, he says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. One thing I do, I forget. Now in sports, I'm just keeping with this theme because the Olympics are on. It's all I can think about right now. In sports, coaches talk about next play mentality, whether it's basketball or football or whatever. If a good shooter misses nine shots in a row, he doesn't care. He knows he's making the tenth, and he's going to shoot. He's going to shoot until he makes it. He forgets the nine shots behind him. Now, in Scripture, forgetting is not losing your memory. Paul's not calling us to amnesia here. The word forget means to choose not to be influenced by the past. Did you hear that? It is choosing not to let the past have power over your present. It is breaking the power of the past tense so that you can live and grow in the future tense. Paul is talking about, in this section of chapter 3, his Christian life since the road to Damascus. All the churches he's planted, all the persecutions he's faced for Christ, all the conversions and salvations he's seen, all the fruits of the Spirit that he's seen at work, Paul refuses to dwell on his experience in the rearview mirror so that he can focus on the windshield. He forgets everything, the highs, the lows. He's not the only one with this kind of short memory. Joseph from the Old Testament, you know his story, betrayed by his brothers, sent down to Egypt. God uses it for good. You can see Joseph's short memory in action when he has a baby in Egypt. Genesis 41, verse 51, Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. What does that mean? Joseph says, for God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. He's not saying he doesn't remember his dad or his brother's. But the power of what his brothers did over his life doesn't hold him down. To the point that he can name his kid. And every time he says his kid's name in the house, he is declaring the past has no power over me. I'm living for the future. I'm thinking forward. What about you? It's obvious that we can learn some things from the past. We can learn lessons from the past, brothers and sisters. But listen, if we don't forget our success, we will become proud. If we don't forget our sorrows, we will become bitter. If we do not forget our sins, we will become paralyzed. What in your past still has power over the way you live today? Is it something great in your life? You keep looking back at an old trophy? Maybe something you did for God? Look at me. Look at what I did. Or is it something maybe you can't even mention? A shame, a pain, a broken relationship, a conversation, 
an argument, a conflict, a war, an abuse, a tragedy, a nightmare that's in your past and has so much power, it is dictating the way you live right now. Maybe it's a sin, and you just can't shake the guilt knowing you did that. Friend, allow me to encourage you. God tells us in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25, I will not remember your sins. Now, he's all-knowing. He's never really going to forget it. But he does not hold the power of your sin over your head once you put your faith in his son. And if the God who sees everything and knows everything won't let your past dominate the way he sees you, brothers and sisters, we as his people are free to do the same. Do not let something behind you keep you from the glory in front of you. Gordon Fee tells a story of the Olympics, the miracle mile. First time two men ever in history ran a mile under four minutes in the same exact race, Roger Bannister and John Landy. Landy led the whole way, Gordon Fee writes, but coming off the final turn toward the finish line, he looked over his shoulder only to find Bannister on the other side, passing him and beating him to the wire. It's what happens when you don't have a short memory and you're looking back instead of looking forward. Friends, this is a particular idea. I need you to hear me if you haven't been hearing me. This is a particular idea that a church that is 140 years old needs to hear. We cannot look back in the rearview mirror at the last 140 years. We got to look forward. We've got to think forward. We've got to remove two words out of our vocabulary. And listen, if you hear anybody in this room use these words in any context, I don't care what it is, you're emphasizing what I'm saying here, so go ahead and say it. If you hear these two words, you tell people, think forward. We've got to get rid of these two words. Are you ready? Used to. We used to do it like this. I love the way we used to do that. You know what's a good idea? We used to try this. Brother, that may have been the greatest thing in the world in 1988. But we are thinking forward. Nostalgia and obsessively, obsessively comparing your experience now with your experience then debilitates. It prevents life. It paralyzes. Listen, this is an epidemic in our culture, not just in our church. All we're doing is talking about glory days in the back. And how do we get back to the 1950s? 
How can we be great again? Backward, backward, backward. It is in our blood. So how are we going to come in here on Sunday and look forward? Let me shock you real quick with some words from the wisest man who ever lived on this planet, outside of Jesus. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 10. I want you to think about what this man is saying. Solomon says, Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Solomon, son of David, is telling Israel, Don't you bring up my dad again. Don't act like David's days were all that. You may love David, but he ain't the Messiah. So if you keep looking back, you're not going to be ready for the king that's coming out of my family. Don't look back, Israel. Think forward. Listen, we get caught in the same trap. The gospel mentality and the glory days mentality do not mix. When are our glory days? When are our best days? It is what we saw in these waters. It is when we are raised from our grave into the kingdom of God forever with the resurrected King Jesus. And if you're not looking at those days, you're not looking at it any glory days. We have to turn our eyes as a church forward. We need a short Memory. Paul's not done, though. It's only really half the battle. Next aspect of thinking forward, Paul gives us in verse 13, is a serious effort. Paul says in verse 13, One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Straining. Every night this week, you can see what that looks like. Just turn on NBC. And it doesn't matter what sport you are watching. But the athlete who wins is not coasting to the finish line. They are not nonchalantly trying to win this thing. They are putting out an all-out effort. They are straining every muscle. They are engaging every fiber of their being, stretching to the max, trying to win the gold. Paul says in verse 14, I press on. Paul is relentless. (laughs) I mean, if anybody could sit back, right? If anybody could say, I've done it. It's this man, and he is chasing it. He is seizing after it, straining forward. He's sitting in jail. He's got chains on, locked up for preaching Jesus. Not a single one of you would accuse him if he retired at that point. Yeah, I get it, Paul. We would even say something like, you ran your race. No way. 
Paul's not done yet. Until he sees Jesus again, he is straining forward. He cannot stop thinking forward. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 to 27, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. What's it going to take for you to strain forward like that? Our culture, all we do is run aimlessly. The next big thing, I'm running that way. Something comes out tomorrow, I'm running that way. What's it going to take for our church to reach the finish line, brothers and sisters? Paul is telling us it is going to take some serious efforts. Warren Wearsby writes, a man does not become a winning athlete by listening to lectures, watching movies, reading books, or cheering at the games. He becomes a winning athlete by getting into the game and determining to win. Brothers and sisters, can we just look in the mirror? How many of us are just basically done? We're just waiting for God to show up. I've done my part. I ran a little bit in my 40s and 50s. I did a lot in my 20s. Now it's my time. And we'll listen to a Christian lecture. We'll watch some Christian movies. We'll watch Chosen. We'll read some Christian books. But how many of us get in the game? Our church does not need new members. We don't need people from other churches coming to our church to get into something exciting. We need more than just bodies to sit in a pew, to fill a room in a Bible study, to put a check in an offering box. We need people who will run the race. If everyone in this room, if every member that was already a member at the church was running, Pushing, straining. Hebrews 12, 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Brothers and sisters, quit talking about what we woulda, coulda, shoulda done what you wish didn't happen. Find the area God has gifted you to serve his body and get with it. No one's stopping you. No one's holding you back. You got four walls and a couch and food in your pantry. Serve somebody. Start a Bible study there. Share with your neighbors. 
Not the ones going to church down the street, the ones who don't go to church on Sunday. Strain forward. Don't let the past hold its power over you. Think forward. Find the new route. Find the new path and serve. Brothers and sisters, we're not doing these things for results. We're not doing that so that we get better and bigger and greater and more famous and more people know us and it's all exciting. We're doing this for the glory of God. And we're doing this because we know that we will be raised to walk with him when he returns. And that's enough. That's why Paul shows us the last aspect of thinking forward that we're going to talk about today. It's a steadfast hope. A steadfast hope. Paul says in verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I will confess to you that I don't feel like Paul feels all the time. This year, this last 15 months, feels like a Philippian prison cell, personally. And I don't always strain and press on like Paul does here. Paul's chains around his his wrist do not weigh him down. They do not bring him down. And I don't know about you, but sometimes things weigh me down. But the constant struggles that Paul faced in the church did not cause him to give up on people. The people who just kept looking back, the people who kept bringing arguments to his door, the the, the people who were bringing false teaching into the church, it didn't weigh Paul down so much that he said, that's it, I'm done. I'm going to go do something easier. He pressed on. He keeps his eyes on the prize. As Max Anders writes, Paul looks ahead to see the resurrection where he will meet Jesus face to face. Can I ask you one more question for you to think about? What is your ultimate hope? What is the thing that you hope for? Brothers and sisters, we we move the target too many times. We, We add some new finish line for us to pursue and achieve. But we have seen it today. Our hope is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of the living and the dead. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Man, there's some good news in these verses. You aren't holding on to the prize. God is. That means you can't lose the prize. It is kept in heaven. It is not going anywhere. So when everything else in the whole wide world feels unstable, you have a steadfast hope. Nothing is shaking our goal, our prize, our finish line out of Jesus's hands. 
Philippians 1.6, Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I, will, I could preach on this passage for like six more Sundays, but I am moving on after today. I want to wrap all this up with one challenge straight from the word. I'm not making up this challenge. You will see. Okay? What are we supposed to do with this? If the gospel moves and we're supposed to move, where do we move? How do we do it? Look at the final two verses in this passage, verses 15 to 16, and Paul will give us the challenge himself. Paul says, Let those of us who are mature... Think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Did you hear him? This is not just for apostles, pastors, teachers, and leaders. This is for anyone grown in Christ enough to hear by the Spirit the truth of this message. This is the gold standard for every believer in Christ. When the gospel moves, you cannot sit still. Brothers and sisters, hear me. The Holy Spirit does not let the church or his children plateau. He does not let them go into neutral. When Christ gets a hold of you, you think in the future tense. So I will ask you, what will you do? What will Jesus make of you? What will Jesus make of us? Think in the future tense with me. And as long as you have breath, as long as this race is still going, press on. David Livingstone, great missionary, Traveled all over Africa, like Paul, 30 years into ministry. He has a moment to pause and reflect. Someone asked David Livingstone, hey, you've spent 30 years touring Africa, preaching Jesus. Where are you going next? David Livingstone replied, I will go anywhere provided it is forward. Let us pray.